Oddball is made possible by supporters of WJCT Public Media, with additional support from Bold Bean Coffee Roasters. While this podcast might be a mystery, Bold Bean's coffee isn't. Ethically sourced bags of beans are roasted to highlight their origin, characteristics, and natural sweetness. So when you order that latte, you're supporting transparency and quality at every step of the coffee chain. Bold Bean, sourcing, roasting, brewing, and serving outstanding coffee. From WJCT Public Media, this is Episode 2 of Oddball. I'm Lindsay Kilbride. One of my listeners uh, called up um, and said, Ron, have you heard about this thing that they found? And I said, okay, well, you know, I'll check it out. It probably has a very simple explanation, but so far I haven't found anyone that can give me one. The ball was sitting on a glass top table. The ball rolled from the center of the table all the way to the edge and stopped. Do you have any theories as to what the ball might be? Uh, not really. Do you, you remember your dad saying that he personally witnessed it? Yes. It's very exciting. That's bad. Uh, they, at the end, they weren't sure they, they got the right ball back. People will say you're crazy or this or that, which she is not. I left off talking with Bet's family friend, Dick Burnett, in his living room. This is the bottom jaw of a woolly mammoth right here. About his memories of the oddball and his more recent conversations with Jerry, matriarch of the Bet's household. Dick skimmed over some weird details about several UFO investigators looking at the ball and the Navy's involvement. The Navy investigated the ball just days after it made headlines in April 1974. I haven't had any luck getting the official report, but newspapers say they had two weeks to investigate the ball and determined it was from Earth because it was made out of super common stainless steel. And that's despite the witnesses and family's account of its odd behavior, vibrating and seeming to move around of its own volition. Jerry says something mysterious was going on with the officer in charge of returning the ball, and he wanted to take it back, but she said no. I have to say, going into this, I personally find it highly unlikely the ball is anything magical or extraterrestrial. And I totally believe life beyond Earth is possible, even likely. But I'm still coming into this really skeptical. If this was something truly astounding, wouldn't the Navy have just said it was government property, something classified, you know, not give Jerry the option of taking it back? I don't know. But... Everyone I've spoken to who knows Jerry says she's smart, well-respected, and honest. So I wanted to know more about that. Who is Jerry? Is she the kind of person who would either make up weird things about the ball or imagine them? She's a pretty extraordinary woman who has an amazing history that people probably don't know. So I'll just have you right here. Okay. Nan Cavanaugh is the former editor of First Coast Magazine, which profiled Jerry Betts in 2016. It took me a long time to track her down. Uh, I think after the Betts uh, sphere, she and her family, they over the past few decades, they've just been inundated with UFO enthusiasts trying to track them down. That They've kind of gone, I want to say, into hiding in a way. So tell me a little bit about your journey getting in touch with her and how she came on your radar as someone you wanted to interview. There was a gentleman who lived on the north side of Jacksonville 
who fancied himself as a kind of local um, hobby historian. And he um, you know, he's the type of guy who writes letters to the newspaper all the time, really long, intense letters. And so he, he would, <laughs> so you were familiar with him. I was familiar with him. Um, so he would just call me uh, maybe like every, I don't know, three months, every six months with like some story ideas. I had asked him, went through one of our conversations, you know, we're doing a we're, you know, we're doing an October issue. We really like to focus on the supernatural. Um, do you have any good stories? And that's when he said, oh, you should do something on the Bet Sphere. So then I went into the archive of the Times Union um, and found the file and the stories on it and Googled it online. I was like, wow, this is a supernatural occurrence that people are still really like fixated on. And so I was like, this is great. Um, and then... I was like, okay, well, let's try to find the Betts family. And so I began that process, and it was more challenging than I expected because Jerry um, had such a prominent, you know, she was a prominent figure uh, in the 70s and 60s, 70s. She's not kidding. Remember how I said the newspaper had this thick archive of articles related to the sphere? That same folder includes 24 articles just on Jerry, most of them predating the ball's discovery. People around here knew who she was. It also includes a stack of photos of Jerry. She's petite with brunette hair, cut short or pulled back when she sat for portraits. My favorite photo of her is this one where she looks really young. Her hair is pulled back in a low ponytail, and she's got some frizzy flyaways because Florida, but she's candidly laughing while trying to compose herself for the portrait. I just like it. She had a business owner. Their family are large landowners in the area. She was very active um, in local politics. Lots of coverage is about her fighting the city over its buying a private bus company. She argued it would obligate the city to high costs without voters having a say. She led an effort collecting signatures to have the city council members removed who supported the purchase. Then she was a plaintiff in a state Supreme Court case over the matter. One article spotlighted Jerry for refusing to answer questions posed by city lawyers about her research into the private bus company's finances, saying she would not disclose her source even if it meant jail. Other articles allege city council members may have been retaliating against her over the matter. Then there's her run for soil and water board, her demonstrating for higher pay for police, and her run for a state house seat, although she didn't win. So I was kind of surprised when I started trying to find them through just normal means of searches uh, that I was unable to really find find any real information, contact information, like no social media accounts, nothing that I could really see and eventually track them down through tax records. Got a hold of one of her nieces who, when I called her, she um, was very suspicious about me calling and um, I quickly realized that if I was going to ask the family anything about the bet sphere, I was not going to get anywhere with the family. So realizing through my research of Jerry as a person, I was like, well, let's shift gears here. Like, There's a nature preserve name for them near the Fort George area. It was a large piece of land that they donated. The Betts Tiger Point Preserve. And they've donated a lot of land um, to the state for preservation. One of the things with the magazine we were trying to do is that kind of highlight unknown and untold histories. So I was like, you know what, people go to this go to this park all the time. They use the ramp. They probably have no idea who the family is. So let's do a story on Jerry and celebrate the work she did. And 
um, what an amazing business person she was to acquire that land and the vision she had and her choice to preserve it. So that was the story that I pitched the family, and that was the story that they finally were like, okay, like we'll share um, Jerry's phone number with you. Reporter Karen Burmeister wrote that story in 2016, titled Gutsy and Gifted, The Amazing Jerry Betts Jackson. The deal, a story about Jerry's life and work, no mention of the ball allowed. She's she's truly a self-made woman because she grew up in such poverty and on a farm in South Georgia, and she was one of 14 children. Her parents, her mom died first, and then her father died, I think, a few years later. She was quite young. I want to say maybe around 10, 11, 12 when they died. And so uh, she took care of her younger siblings, and, you know, they had no electricity, no running water. They had to bring in pails of water from a, a well that was somewhere on the property. And um, she, I think, was born with um, a talent for taking care of people and helping people. She has a big heart. Mm. It sounds like she's pretty resourceful, too, sort of working with what she had. Oh, my gosh, yeah. She got married early, and um, I think the, it wasn't a really successful marriage. And a, the husband was falling behind in his payments for this truck with a trailer behind it and um, was about to go into default. I think she saw that that could be developed into a successful business. In 1965, her business success was featured in the newspaper. Jacksonville mother of six built trucking line from one repossession. She was 32 at the time, 32 raising six kids. It describes her as an attractive brunette with dark hair, glamour white teeth, and I cannot believe I'm saying this, the figure of a schoolgirl. Later, when she ran for a state house seat along with lots of other women in 1972, that headline was, if these women candidates are elected, how will they keep house? Yikes. Anyway, this article says she took over payments of the nearly new tractor trailer from a young man she had tried to help by signing his bank loan, not specifying it was her soon-to-be ex-husband. Whoever it came from, she tried to sell it, but with offers too low, she instead found use for it, hiring a driver, scoring a twice-a-week route to Miami, hauling poultry. But then that company wanted to give her all its business. Having only one truck, she went around to truck stops in search of independent drivers looking for extra work. Within five years, she had remarried, had that sixth child, and purchased her ninth truck. Again, reporter Karen Burmeister. The trucks would break down on the highway, and the driver would call her and say, you know, something's wrong with it. And so she would probe him with questions. And actually help the driver fix his truck over the phone based on her own research into diesel engines. She did her own bookkeeping, scrubbed the trucks every week, and she said she made more than 100 calls a day acquainting people with her service. She said most big food chains refused to even consider her company because she was a woman. And she did most of this by herself. Her husband, a marine engineer, wasn't home much, but offered moral support, according to the article. She said, at the time, you had to let men speak for you to keep the peace. But sometimes you had to stir it up. Around that time, she was also buying land whenever she could. She told me that even when she was like in her very early, her late teens or maybe even early 20s, she was saving every penny she could to buy land. And that really paid off for her later. 
not only did she donate land for preservation, Karen says she was successful in real estate. And she also had a knack for engineering, because of course she did. She loved self-study. She would buy books and she would pick people's brains and talk with people and, and study. And she would just figure things out on her own. Jerry largely credits her intuition, which she told Karen some may label as clairvoyance. But Jerry calls it her gift. I said, um, I understand that you, you know, have a very strong faith and a close relationship with God. But I think that it goes even beyond that, that you have special gifts. And um, she's like, yeah. She didn't want to brag. She's very humble and very down to earth. She would just have these real strong instincts or gut feelings. For instance, one time... She was with a group of people, and they were doing a devotional study in this, I think it was like a wooden facility. It was dusk, and an inner voice told her, turn off the lights. So she flipped off the lights, and that's when she looked out the window, and she could see what at first she thought was fog. And then she looked more closely and realized it was smoke. Because the building was on fire. So Jerry believes she has a gift, like a sixth sense. Her gut told her to turn off the lights, and she was able to see that part of the building she was in was on fire. When I asked Karen what she thinks about all this, without skipping a beat, she says she believes her. I don't know what to think, except I find it really intriguing, especially with everything she's accomplished. Karen's article really gives you a sense of who Jerry is and that this discovery of a weird silver ball not mentioned in the article, it was just a blip. But you wouldn't know that by searching her name online. That just brings up a bunch of theories about the sphere. Back in mid-April 74, when articles about the ball were popping up daily, Jerry's portrayal seems to shift over the course of 10 days or so. Okay, shift from what to what? Intern Al Pete again. Okay. Okay, so this is the... So in this first article I could find, it, it explains the ball exhibits strange behavior. It talks about the Navy being interested in the ball, and it says several people have advanced the theory it may be a bugging device left by a UFO. Mm. The next day, the paper's own photographer is quoted backing up Jerry's claims, and the Navy spokesman admits there is something weird about the ball. Then the Navy determined the ball was made on Earth, and not odd. And the way Jerry is portrayed seems to change at this point. This is where I've noticed it. Because then we start seeing headlines like this one right here. Um, Just a ball, Navy, not so, it's finders. Mm. So it's, it's sort of yeah, doubting yeah, her. There's definitely a downplay. Yeah, and, that, and that's how it kind of progresses. So a few days later, there's an article that says Jerry and her family won't give up the notion it's from outer space. But Jerry is like, you still haven't told me what it is or where it came from, and that's what I want to know. So the articles go from saying the Navy thinks the ball is strange to the ball did not roll around at the air station when being x-rayed by the Navy. So then a couple months later, there's another article, and it states, Betzes still believe stainless steel globe came from outer space. And then in the article, she claims that people were trying to buy the ball, including a group offering 750 grand, wow. which she says she turned down. Wow. 
uh, that she's had to have people wanting to investigate it kicked off her property and that she's taken serious security precautions to protect the ball. So as more and more is being reported about the sphere, Jerry seems less and less into the attention. You know, if she just wanted this to all go away, she could probably just say it stopped moving around or I was mistaken. The Navy was right. It's just a metal ball made on Earth. But she doesn't. So she's either really honest or really dedicated to a contrived story. Listen to this call with Ron. Hello, Miss Betts. That radio host who took pictures of the ball. She says this ball has completely disrupted her family life with all the people wanting to see it and study it. Well, I would imagine so. We're getting long distance calls almost 24 hours a day. And we're it means nothing to people in the West that it's midnight here. And when they quit calling, those in the East wake up and start. She told a reporter that if she had known what she knows now, she wouldn't have told anyone what her son found. She would have kept quiet. Then a second ball popped up. But first. Oddball is made possible by supporters of WJCT Public Media with additional support from Bold Bean Coffee Roasters. Although Bold Bean typically focuses on single-origin coffees, owner Zach Burnett created a special Oddball blend at his roastery in Jacksonville, Florida. So Oddball is a two-coffee blend. One of the blend elements comes from El Salvador. Uh, The coffees were grown on the Santa Ana volcano. Uh, It's from a family that we've been working with for going on five years. So that coffee on its own is pretty well-rounded and balanced. The second component of that blend is a coffee called Kiamabara from Kenya. So we've used that coffee to kind of spice up the blend, give it a lot of character, and then balance that kind of intensity out with the El Salvador. The oddball is tasting a lot like Luxardo cherries, like cocktail cherries, and that's kind of balanced out by a nice kind of spice note similar to like root beer. Get the coffee blend now and find out how to binge all the oddball episodes before they're officially released at oddballpodcast.com. And while you're there, consider making a contribution to WJCT Public Media so we can keep making more cool podcasts like this one. It can feel like brilliant creative ideas just appear out of nowhere, you know, like a mysterious metal ball from outer space. But of course, it's never that simple. Kickstarter's podcast, Just the Beginning, brings you stories about how independent creators bring their ideas to life. And sometimes those ideas are a little out there. My dad and I built a little holographic studio in my room. It was right at the foot of my bed in high school. I think it was the only one on the block. That's inventor Sean Frain, who stuck with his childhood obsession and created a desktop holographic display called The Looking Glass. To hear about his creative journey and so many others, listen to the first season of Just the Beginning, out now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite shows. And be sure to subscribe to catch new episodes.
just over a week after the ball made its first headlines, an official with the St. Regis Pulp and Paper Company in Jacksonville made his own headlines, saying the bet sphere is probably part of a pull valve his company used to use in the process of converting wood chips into pulp. He said that equipment had been discarded 15 years ago, probably sold as scrap, and there's no telling where it all ended up. Then a woman named Lottie Robinson came forward with a second ball. She said this ball had been sitting in her garage for about 15 years. A family friend had apparently given a heavy metal ball to her kids to play with, as you do. It was eight inches in diameter, like the bet sphere, 20 pounds, a tad lighter than the Betts's, and if you roll it, there's a little zing in there, kind of like the bet sphere. Then a local businessman who sells metal balls and the GM of a plant that makes metal balls both said the two spheres definitely seem like the kind they're familiar with used in machinery for pulp mills and chemical pumps. That general manager I just mentioned was from the Michigan company Industrial Tectonics, which is still around today, still specializing in the making of metal balls. In 74, he said that little jingle you hear inside the Betts ball, it's probably from pieces of metal that could have fallen into a small hole left after the ball was cast and sealed. Some articles do say the ball had like this welded over plug. Most don't mention that. I reached out to Industrial Tectonics and the guy I spoke with said this. The process of making metal balls hasn't really changed since before the 70s. Typically, two hemispheres are welded together, but you'd never be able to tell. And he couldn't think of a reason a metal sphere would have a hole drilled and later welded over. He also said you wouldn't want little shards of material falling inside the ball, but it could happen if it was poorly manufactured. And he agrees with the officials who chimed in and said that a ball matching the Bet sphere description could be used in pulp mills and chemical pumps. A hollow metal ball like this would be strong, but not too heavy. But back to this article from 74. It says a PR rep with a paper mill actually confirmed Lottie's ball, that's the woman who had the lookalike, was once one of the mills. Although the article doesn't specify if the mill really took a look at Lottie's ball. But it says to ID the Betts ball, paper company engineers would have to take a look at it. And that's where things get cloudy because I don't know if that ever happened. There's no follow-up news story and the paper plant has been shut down. We know the ball fits the description of the mill's spheres, except, you know, theirs didn't vibrate and follow people around. But I know Jerry says her ball was not part of the mill's equipment, or so she told Ron. I'm not contradicting it. I want them to think that. Her sentiment can best be summed up as, it's not from the paper mill. I've confirmed that with a UFO investigator. They say it definitely is not a Paul valve. But let people think that. I don't want to be bothered anymore. A year and a half later, Jerry sat down with a Florida Times-Union newspaper reporter, Sandy Strickland. How long have you been with this paper? I came in December of 1969, and that makes, I've been here longer now than anyone else. And she's still there. I wanted to hear about her interview with Jerry, but also track down other reporters who also may have known Jerry. Yeah, any, these are all people who wrote about her. Um, Helen, she's dead. Helen, Helen. She's dead. Hey. He's dead. Terry Murphy. Terry Murphy is 
still with us, and she is a Facebook friend. So basically, I was extremely lucky to have Sandy, who interviewed Jerry in 1975. I brought a scanned copy of the original article with me. Now, I know what it feels like to read a story I wrote four years ago and cringe because I'm like, oh, God, how do you feel about this? (laughs) Well, it was before. (laughs) I don't like to read my stories once they've been in print because Uh then you see things that you would have written differently and you want to cut out some words and you want to add it. And then you think of the, oh, I could have said it this way. And then the writing style was different then, too. I can write better than this now. But I remember going to the house. They wanted a Halloween story. And this seemed to fit within the perimeters. Sandy went to Jerry's place, which is this gigantic house sitting in the woods. And the house is complete with one of those rounded side towers, like, you know, what castles have. If you you went up to the tower... You could look out and you could almost see the inlet. I think you could see the inlet. I remember all these levels. And you would walk, you know, from one to the other. And it seemed to keep, it was a neat house. Um, I've never been in another house like it. They called it the castle. And indeed it did look like a castle. And I remember, as I said, the orange shag carpet. And they were ju- it was just the kind of house that you could have a great party in. You could play hide-and-go-seek and be found. And- 21 rooms, six bedrooms, a master lounge, a Florida room, garden room, playroom, shop, a den, a 20-foot closet, a basement built like a dungeon. But... Sandy didn't interview Jerry to profile a neat house. She profiled a rumored haunted house. The article was headlined, Haunted House, Fort George Mansion Has Aura of Mystery. Trees hump across the narrow, twisting road that leads to the house. On foggy days, a mist seems to emanate from around the house. Chickens and ducks chatter in the yard, adding an incongruous note to the haunted castle atmosphere. I don't agree with Sandy. Her writing is great. Over the years, there had been stories that organ music could be heard throughout the house, but no organ. When the house was vacant, there were tales of mysterious phone calls, lights, voices, banging doors, a rumored secret passage never found by the house's occupants. Once during a party, guests were sitting in the library with all the doors locked when a crash was heard in the kitchen. Broken dishes were on the floor, but the cabinet was closed. She took me around and she showed me some of the places where some of the strange events had occurred. Uh, The cabinet, for example, where some of the glass and the china was stored and there was no one in that room and it crashed and there was no reason for it to crash. And then the um, doors, the double doors that led to the house, those were heavy doors. They were either made of metal or wood or stone and they would not blow open and yet they opened and there were strange noises, there were crashing sounds, telephones would ring. A maid decided she didn't want to work at the house anymore. Once, a guest heard a heavy door slam and was reluctant to come back. But Jerry said she's always tried to look for logical explanations. Voices, maybe they just carried over from boaters in the inlet. Sandy's story just has a brief mention of the sphere. 
asked her what she remembered about it. I don't think anyone thought that it dropped down from outer space, that it had anything to do with extraterrestrials or, or uh, alien objects or anything of that nature. You know, the mind is a powerful thing, and you can let your imagination run wild to the fact that you might say, I wouldn't want to be alone in a room with that ball at night all by myself. So on one hand, Jerry says all the attention with the ball totally disrupted her family's life. And although she personally didn't think the ball was from the paper mill, she was glad that theory was floating around because maybe it would make people lose interest. Yet a year later, she agrees to be interviewed about rumors her house was haunted. This is sort of a red flag for me, honestly. But it's not hard to see how the house could trigger your imagination if you can find it. So we're... Um, on Fort George Road, or about to turn on Fort George Road. So hopefully it's not that hard to find. <laughs> Again, my friend Naya. You're gonna go way. up here past the slave house and veer left at the fork. Okay. The Betz's old house is really close to Kingsley Plantation, which has intact slave houses, as if this place wasn't already eerie. It should be like right up here. It might be Maybe back. we have to turn down it the might, sandy road. Oh, there's a gate. Okay, let's it says it's a little further up, but it might be that. Okay, we'll check it out. It wasn't. Google didn't know where the house was, and neither did we. So the house was built in uh, the late 1920s by Mellon Greeley, who was a prolific Jacksonville architect. And he built it for a uh, real estate person in Chicago named Nettleton Neff. Local historian and English professor Tim Gilmore describes the house as soaked in suicide and abandonment. Neff's wife died in a fire at their summer home in Michigan in 1926. A couple years later, Neff's 21-year-old son went missing. And he was found two weeks later. He had hung himself in an apple tree in uh, Connecticut. Nettleton Neff himself. Committed suicide in his office in Chicago. He, he shot himself. And uh, he never lived in the house. Uh, so this was the late 1920s. And, you know, so this is right before kind of the economic uh, bust and the Great Depression. And nobody lived in the house full time until 1967. The Betts family. And uh, no one has lived there since. The National Park Service has it boarded up. Completely weird, but I don't think it's connected to the ball. And Jerry says all the haunted stuff predated the sphere's discovery. Still, it's alluring. Like, oh, a family found this rumored UFO and they live in a possibly haunted house near an old plantation. Totally normal. You know, I was kind of curious about that myself. Oh, check this out. Here we go. What? Maybe we got a... Nope. Oh, strange I'm just gonna sphere. Ask this guy if he knows. I have a question. Do you live out here? No, you don't. We're trying to find um, this mansion that's back here somewhere. The Neff House. The house captured Tim's imagination so much that he wrote a Southern Gothic-style short story about some teens who find it in the woods. He walked off the hiking trail past a no-trespassing sign. He was walking an old dirt road that dipped through narrow ravine and rose up small hills. The sun came through two trees that framed a house in the near distance. 
When he got closer, he could tell the corner of the house was a brick tower at least three, maybe four stories tall. The sun glinted off the conical roof like a diamond. This description from the story ultimately helped us find the house. A curved iron railing semicircled a balcony over an address above the door. The address said 01. He thought it might be missing some numbers. He also thought the road had... This is it. We stopped at the end of a gated off narrow road, and I did not believe it led to the house. But 15 minutes later. It is? We found the house. We found the house. Google did not help. Nope. Our intuition did not help. We walk along a curved path, no house in sight for several minutes. Oh man. They drove quite a ways to get out here. We're walking up a hill now. Right as we get on the other side, we'll be able to see the front side of the house. Wow. Wow. It's the house. A 21-room castle boarded up, half brick, half stucco, with a circular tower adorned with a pointed roof. This is where it happened, Lindsay. This is where it all happened. This is the door. This is the door that Dick walked up to. And I can imagine him coming out here, talking to Jerry. Well, the kids are inside. Tom, his Playing son. with this alien. Yeah. Having a fall around the house. <laughs> if we were to try and get in this, it would be very precarious. Yeah. All right. This is definitely the type of area that inspires paranormal thinking and supernatural stuff. I could see being out here, hidden in the woods, in your house house that's built to be called a castle. I mean... The place, it looks haunted for sure. I mean, it's just crazy to me that there's this huge mansion in this beautiful area and it's just it's, it's unoccupied. Just there. Yeah. It, it's abandoned. It's boarded up. Sat unoccupied, even though you know it was built with such intention to right. Sandy, the newspaper reporter, says she thinks the Betts family eventually shied away from discussing the ball because maybe people started looking at them in a different way. Jerry, she was such a a great businesswoman. She was really smart. She wasn't afraid to challenge, you know, city council if they were wasting taxpayer dollars in her opinion. And then the sphere came and it seemed like that's what people were knowing her for. And to me, it's like, that's such a small part of who she is. Why are we not focusing on her as this 
really powerful, cool woman in the community. I think that's exactly what happened. I think that he, some even dubbed it the Betts Ball. And Nan, the editor who decided to profile Jerry a couple years ago, agrees. She wasn't someone who would have been in it for the attention. It really was eye-opening to me to really think about a person's experience once something supernatural has occurred and you share it, right? You don't just keep it a secret, you keep mm-hmm. it to yourself. How that can uproot everything. Um, like it was like a pil- people were like coming here from all over the country, like on a pilgrimage to their home. I mean, it, it got crazy. You know, there's nothing in it for Jerry Betts to share this strange story. Mm-hmm. You know, she had everything. Nan also corroborates some of what Jerry's friend Dick told me. She says the Navy tried to keep the ball as an officer was returning it to the Betts family and that Jerry doesn't know if she even ended up with the original ball, like one of these UFO investigators maybe switched it out. That's what Jerry told her last time they talked a few years ago. I don't know. I want to learn more. Like I want to go. I I want to try to get down there and visit with her. About a week after this interview, Nan came back to the studio. All right. Hold on. Let me find my notes because I So you talked to Jerry on Monday? I did. This is Oddball, a production made possible by supporters of WJCT Public Media, with additional support from Bold Bean Coffee Roasters. If you want to listen to the rest of the series right now, you can for $20 or pay a little more and get some cool merch with your episodes. Check out the full shop and listening options at oddballpodcast.com. Oddball is produced by me, Lindsay Kilbride, with editing by Jessica Palumbo. The music is by Matthew Wardell and Al Pete, the show's intern. Andrew Gustafson restored some of the archival audio. 